This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. I told everyone I was going to be here, and I had a wedding in Deal, which I wasn't going to go to. And the kala, the chuppah was at 8 o'clock. At a quarter to 8, the kala, she said, her own wedding, texted me, where are you? So I texted back. There was a whole thing on the Jersey Turnpike. I don't know if there was a, a, a truck burnt and it was a fire and everything closed and everything took 25 hours. Whatever. So I, said, I wrote it back. You know, Turnpike is messed up. Going to deal is, gonna, is really messed up because everything was messed up. I'm really, really sorry. And I was coming to the share. And she wrote back, I don't care what time you get here. You cannot miss my wedding. So I called up Rabbi Lamb. I said, Hashem, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here because I have a share Kavua. I'm going to call up Rabbi Lamb. It was 8 o'clock. He had just gotten to Muncie from Brooklyn. So Rabbi Lamb, I, I have a situation. Are you available to give my share tonight? Let me ask my wife. Yeah, I'll turn around and I'll come back to Brooklyn. I went, so I went to deal. And I have to say, I don't know the halacha because the shir kavua is very big, but Rabbi Lamb could replace me and give a shir. But if I wouldn't have gone to that wedding, this girl would have been very broken. So that's where I was. So I didn't write you guys, I'm coming to the shir because I wanted you to come and fake you out. At that point, till 8 o'clock, I was coming to the shir. So um, if I'm not coming, I would definitely tell you I'm not coming. So we did a little flip. Anyway, I'm sure Rabbi Lamb was amazing. All right. It's getting scary. It's almost L.O. Summer's over. Party's over. It's L.O. time. Right? L.O. is Shabbos. And Sunday, guys on my block in Flatbush were getting into cars and going to the airport because they start learning yeshiva and Eretz Yisrael in L.O. So you don't leave tonight... Right? You can pretty much leave tonight and tomorrow night. That's it. Because Sunday starts Yeshiva. So there's like hundreds of guys going to learn. It's like, wow, the summer just started. I'm like, it's, it's amazing. Okay. So this is the perfect Pasik Parsha. This Shabbos, we're going to read this Parsha. You got to make the first move in El. In a relationship, right? So sometimes the man... Makes the first move. To, he, actually, according to the Torah, we're supposed to take the person out, right? So the relationship with Hashem in this month is Ani Lidaidi. I am to God and God is to me. Not God is to me and I am to God. We got to make the first move. Okay? That's L. We have to make the first move. So it really works out that this week's Pasha is Pasha's Re'e. So number one, first word of the Pasha. Very interesting way to start a Pasha. What did most Pasha start with? By Dabra Hashem and Moshe Lamar, right? Something, you know. It's not talking to Moshe here. It starts off with a Pasha, with the word Re'eh. Re'eh, see, look, concentrate, focus, not on your phone. See, look up. We were created as human beings on two feet. You know why? You know what it brings down in Kabbalah? Why an animal's on four feet? And we're on two feet. You think everything, everything that I'll tell you, I went, let's go back a little bit before I get to that. So, you don't know you have teeth until they give you trouble. Okay? That's for sure. So last Wednesday I went to the dentist, whatever, and he had to put a cap back on, but he said, you know, before I put the cap back on, right next to your tooth, to where the cap is, there's a cavity. To a dentist in Manhattan, whatever. So, 
I might as well do the cavity. It's much easier to get to because there's a space on the side. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. I'm speaking in, in Tubby Thursday night, Camp Tubby. I'm speaking, what's the Shabbat? No, I'm sorry. I'm speaking, what's the Shabbat in? Oh, I don't even remember anymore. Right. I'm speaking, no, I didn't speak, what's the Shabbat? What did I speak, what's the Shabbat? No, okay. I'm speaking Thursday night in Camp Tubby for girls. I'm speaking Friday morning in Camp Besiaco for girls. I'm speaking monthly Shabbos in Whispering Woods for the whole Bungalow colony, Malka. and I'm speaking Sunday night in Camp Sternberg. So it's four speeches in four days. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if you should mess with this cavity. And especially, I don't like dentists. Most people don't. I don't like that chair. I don't like that noise. I don't like the needle. I just, I'm still a kid. I just don't like that big light in my eyes and a needle going into my mouth. There's just something about it that's not friendly. So I'm thinking to myself, push it off. So I said to him, you know, I got four speeches in four days. I don't know. Maybe we should wait till like next week, next year, whatever. And he's like, listen, it's open already. I'm doing this. Ah, okay. So I want you to know, cavity is very close to your root. So I'm going to try to save you tooth that you won't need a root canal. But it's going to be really close. Okay. So, he does the cavity, eh, stuff starts to wear off, it hurts. I'm like, it's not supposed to hurt a cavity, from what I remember in the old days, right? Anyway, to make a long story short, the root and the cavity and the filling was on the root, whatever it is, you couldn't, it was, you couldn't see it in the x-ray, but in the actual, it's amazing, the reason I'm telling you this is the reason I'm telling you this. So, this is what the dentist said. The second dentist that I went to, because I was going crazy in the mountains, I was climbing the walls, and there's no food, there's no music, there's nothing when you have this kind of toothache. There's nothing. I was like, just rip, pull out my tooth. And if you can't pull out my tooth, cut off my head. Or whatever you do, just get me out of this pain. I would, I would have done, like, it's tooth pain, it's interesting, because in halacha, in halacha, uh, tooth pain... Right on Shabbos is the, is, is the whole thing that tooth pain the Mishnah brings down. It, it, it's, it's a chayla, makes you a chayla, makes you a chayla. Mama said you go crazy. Anyway, so I go to the so, so I'm going crazy. So there's a bachshon, there's a from guy up in the mountains, and I go to this guy. He's a great guy, and I go to him Sunday morning seven o'clock, seven o'clock. Root kid, you know, he's going to check it out. So he takes the X-ray. He says it seems to be that the the root was too close to the cavity. I said, so, so why don't you just, the other guy just sent me for, for a root canal. He says, because on the, on the film, on the x-ray, it doesn't show it. So I said, so how do you know? He said, because the way Hashem created us, as a firm guy, who created us, is that the reason, why do you, he says, why do you, and this is a very, he's a professor in dentistry school, he's gonna be the dean of, he's a big guy, he's a big, he's a big, that's not a dentist, he's a big guy. He said, he said that why do you have, why do you have roots in your teeth? What have roots in your teeth? Why do you have nerves? The roots are their nerves. Why do you need nerves in your teeth? Your teeth have no feelings. He says, the reason Hashem put nerves in your teeth is that when there's a problem in your tooth, it's decaying underneath or there's something wrong, you would never know it if you don't have pain. So there's a nerve in there so that when you have pain, it tells you something's wrong. And there's never a disease. There's a disease that exists in the world where a person doesn't feel any pain. His nerves don't shoot off the the, 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 the responses. The person has no pain, so he can cut off his hand, and he won't know. So he could get really banged and hurt and be bleeding, and he wouldn't know. 
So the reason that we have nervous system, the reason Hashem put a nervous system, it's an alarm system. It's, it's, it's your, your security in your house, window open, window, you know, it tells you what's wrong. So he said that these roots in your teeth tell you when the tooth underneath that you can't see. He says, but, he says, there's a root that we don't take out ever. He says, and this, he says, there's a root around your tooth, not in your tooth, but around your tooth. Around our teeth, there's a root. Why? He says, it tells the brain when to stop, when you're chewing, when you're chewing, you're chewing too much. In other words, it's, it tells the brain, it, it controls the pistons in the engine. It tells the brain, chew, this piece of meat has a certain uh, density, chew it so much, then stop chewing, because if you overchew, you're gonna, you're gonna crack your teeth. He says, so that nerve, that's not the nerve that you feel when they, when they do a root canal. That nerve's around your tooth. He said, every single tooth has that nerve, telling the brain how much to chew, when to stop chewing, how hard to chew. I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow. how could someone not believe in Hashem? Like, you gotta be out of your mind. Says the Pasik, Re'ei, look! If you look, and you look at Hashem's creations, and you look what a nerve's doing in your tooth, and you look at a person's body, you'll know that I'm the one that's giving you everything. Oh, did I learn that the hard way this weekend? Maybe we did. And, 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 and I actually thanked Hashem many times. I don't feel it. He did the root canal. I don't feel it. I'm not in pain. I'm like, ah, Hashem, I don't know how to thank you. Because the pain was, was so intense. So, so, uh, person, if he looks and he sees what's going on in the world, then he sees Taka the Jesus Hashem. And if you don't look, then you don't know what's going on. I'm talking about a little tooth, a root and a tooth and nothing. And so you don't know what you have until you don't have a chas, you know, something hurts you. But it was like, it fits, it fits right into this pasuk. So, Hashem says, look, I have given you Today, a bracha and a klala. Now, it really, the dikduk is really wrong here. Why? Because re'e is yachid, individual. Re'e, see, see, one person. Right? How would you say many people should see? Re'u. doesn't say re'u, it says re'e, see. Anoichi noisin lefnechem, I am giving in front of you, which is plural. So either it's re'u, Singular. Here it's starting off singular. Going into the plural. So what's going on over here? So the Mephoshim, the Allah brings down that the Torah is telling us that every single person should look at himself that the whole world is on a balanced scale, and it's up to you to make it either schus, good, or to make it choiv, not good. So re'e goes on each one of us. You should look. You should look at your deeds of good or bad. Why? Because the whole world, plural, is dependent on you. If a person feels that responsibility... Right, ah, what's the difference? You have this rabbi and that rabbi, and he's doing this and he's doing that. Sham, what do you need me for? What do you care? I'm a little guy. I'm not important. Go to work every day. Big deal, you know? No. You have to, the, the, the whole world could be standing on, on Mamish, uh, uh, a balance, and you're the one who tips it one way or the other. So if every person thinks of it that way, he definitely, he definitely will act differently. Now, 
So it's a very interesting pasuk, this first pasuk. So it says, okay, let's see. I'm giving you a bracha klala. Es bracha. The bracha is, so I would think that the pasuk is going to say, what's the bracha? Bracha is, if you're going to listen to me, you're going to get ganeiden, and Eretz Yisrael, and plants, and parnasa, and shiduchim, and health, and children, if you do the right thing, right? And that's not what the Pasuk says. As a bracha, Pasuk says, and a bracha, Ashetishmuel, which is Hashem Alekechem. You're going to listen to the mitzvah of Hashem our God, that I'm going to command you today, right, what's the bracha, and the Torah doesn't say. It goes into the next Pasuk, Rahaklala, and the curses, if you're not going to listen to the mitzvah of Hashem, the satim and aderach, this word comes off, by the way, this word of guys, like people who go off the derech. Where does that come from? Off the derech. This pasuk right here, v'sartim and aderech. They will go off the derech, right? And you're going to, not going to listen to me, and you're going to go after strange gods. You don't even know them. You're not even, you shouldn't even be part of that whole world. You're a bunch of Jewish guys. What are you doing in that world? Trying to be like them? You take the yamak off when you walk into the casino? You take the yamak off when you, if you have to take the yamak off, it's not your world. Right? My father always said, if you have to take the yamak off, you don't belong there. It's true. It's not your world, right? So, the yamak is supposed to protect you from going to these places. So there's a huge question here. It says, es habracha, the bracha is, and it doesn't tell us the bracha. And the bracha is, if you're going to listen to all the mitzvahs of Hashem, and the curse is, if you're not going to listen to the mitzvahs of Hashem, and you're going to serve away the Zara, okay, what's the curse? You're going to send me to Gehenna? What are you going to do? Plus it doesn't say. Shalit datem, you're going to follow gods that you don't know, and the, pasuk, the next pasuk goes into a whole new subject. He's going to bring you to the, to the land. You're going to get a brach on Hagrizim and a call on Harevo. The Torah doesn't tell us what the bracha is, and the Torah doesn't tell us what the call is. It says, I'm going to tell you what the bracha is. It doesn't tell us the bracha. It's going to tell you what the curse is. It doesn't tell, tell us the curse. Is it going back on the Vahaya and Shemaya? No. No. This is... So there's a beautiful var on this. Very deep and very real. And the Pasuk is telling us the following. Not the bracha is, if you're going to listen to Hashem, that I'm going to give you Ganeiden and children and Parnas and all this. As habracha, what is the bracha? The bracha itself is, that if you listen to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you listen to the mitzvahs, that is the biggest bracha that a person can have. Not that there's a bracha reward for if you listen to the mitzvahs. Listening to the mitzvahs is the bracha. Listening to the mitzvahs is going to make you healthy. People who are empty, atheists are not happy people. The biggest bracha is a person who keeps the Torah, who keeps the mitzvahs, who's connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who's connected to his source. That is the biggest bracha. So the Torah is telling us, Es bracha. what is the bracha? The bracha is if you listen to the mitzvahs. What's the klala? Not that you're going to burn and gehenim, and you're going to get kares and mis and all those terrible things. Much worse. HaKlala, what's the curse? If you don't listen to the mitzvahs, that's the curse, an empty, non-meaningful life, potential not realized, greatest curse in the world. No bigger curse. So we're looking for like, what's the slap? That is the slap. That is the slap. Not having a relationship with your parents, right? Or parents 
not having a relationship with your kids, the biggest slap is that they they have children and they never had that relationship. So the cloa of it is is that they missed their kids. They missed having that relation. Not because they're not related, they're gonna go off the derech and they're not gonna keep Shabbos. No, the cloa of not having a relationship is you have these kids. You could have had this relationship. Instead, you were busy with all your stupid stuff. And this kid has nothing to do with you. You lost a crazy chance and a crazy potential. That is the curse. Not because I didn't have a relationship with my kid. So we went off the derek. That's the curse. The curse is you had a child who depended on you, who loved you, who you could have been with. And instead, you were busy with your stupid phones and all your garbage. And you missed his whole life. You know, I don't want to say Harry Chapin. But when I was growing up, Harry Chapin wrote this, wrote this song. Right, the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. It was a Goyish song. He happens to be Jewish, but whatever. It was a Goyish song, right? And it was so amazing. Because that was, that's the stuff, what the story was about. And finally, at the end of the song, right, he, his kid kept calling him. He kept saying, I'm too busy. You know what I mean? I'm too busy. So at the end, when his, when the guy, the father, retires, and now he calls his kid, so his kid says, sorry, dad, I'm too busy. And the end of the song, is, sorry dad, I guess I've grown up just like you. You taught me well. So you were always too busy to answer me, so now I'm too busy to answer you. So the curse isn't the, re- the reaction of what happened to the child. The curse is that you lost a relationship and a child losing a relationship, and, and the other way around, a kid who doesn't have anything to do with his parents, you know, Hashem only gives you two parents, you can't replace them. And, and a child that doesn't have a good relationship with his parents or doesn't have a relationship with his parents, there's a huge void and, then, and he has a hard time having a relationship with his kids. That's why it doesn't say you should honor your parents so they should live long. I would think if I take care of my father and I, I, I carry his luggage for him and I take him to the doctor and I don't cause him any aggravation so he's going to live longer. That's not what it says in the Torah. Why? Because if you treat your parents right, your kids are going to treat you right. If your kids are going to treat you right, you're going to live longer because you're going to have a happy life. And it's the same thing as Shalom Bayis. The curse isn't the fighting. The curse is the lack of the loving and the lack of the relationship. If you married a woman and you, and you don't have a relationship with her and you have a wife and you don't have a relationship with her, that's the curse. That's what the Torah is telling her. Not the, not the consequence. Not the consequence. The curse is not keeping the Torah. The curse is not having a relationship with God. And the bracha, the greatest bracha, Rapam and the Yudayim and the Tzadikim, the greatest bracha, they weren't upset, they weren't uptight. None of them went to a therapist. None of them was on drugs. None of them needed Prozac. Why? Because they had a relationship. And the biggest bracha is having that relationship. I, I don't even understand how a person can live without that relationship. I don't chat. You, 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 what, are you, what are you living for? What are you? What are you? If you don't have a relationship with Hashem and you don't appreciate his Bria, so what are you? A guy that was born into this world and, and, you, and you have a Facebook account and you have phones and, 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 and I, you know, I used to say that I used to talk about this all the time, so you made money, so now you're buying food so you can eat, to give you energy to go back to work and make more money, so then you sleep, so you, can, you have more energy to make more money, so you're sleeping and you're eating, you're, you're a gerbil, Right? And that little thing that they run. And then you eat and then you go to the bathroom anyway. It doesn't last. The food doesn't last. 
Right? So now you go to the bathroom, so now you're hungry, so you have to eat again. So you're hungry again, right? So, so, so an Ashayatza and, and Hamaiti all day, so what, what are you doing here? So why not have to create a world? You didn't have to create a world, you just created screens. Give everybody a phone, and that would have been it. So, to, to appreciate his nature and his world, and even the root in the tooth and a human body and, and a relationship with your children, a relationship with your parents, a relationship with friends, and a relationship with a wife. And he created an emotional world. It's, it's, a, it's my proof to atheists. When I have atheists that come to me and they're, they're telling me that they don't believe in God, you can't see him, you can't feel him. You know, if he was real, you could at least, there would be some, one of your senses. And how can you even say there's another world when you die? You come to this world, they have the most stupid, empty life <coughs> that exists. You're born? You used to be a monkey, now you're a human being. You're born? You go through the gerbil little spinning around? You die? Beginning and end, the worms eat you, have a good day. Beautiful. What a great way of looking at life. It's, it's so empty. So when they sit there and they're like, I don't believe in the next world, that is ridiculous. Rabbi Watson, anybody ever come back from the next world? So let's just say, ridiculous. So I said, I say to them, I'm like, I can prove to you that there's a world that all your tininess are that there can't be a God because we can't see him or hear him or touch him or feel him or all the five senses that we have. So I will prove to you that there's another, that there is a world that we all live in that your five senses are not, do not work. What are you talking about? I'm like the emotional world. The emotional world, right? You love, you hate, you have, you have pain emotionally, right? Emotional, emotional world, I have learned the hard way, is much more powerful than the physical world. In the physical world, a person would never take a knife and kill themselves. In the physical world, a person would never cut themselves. In the physical world, a person would never be anorexic and starve themselves. But in the spiritual, emotional world, your emotions are so powerful that they could cause you to take your life. Your emotions are so powerful that they could cause you to cut yourself. Your emotions are so powerful that they could cause you not to ever eat again. Your physical body can't do that. But your emotional body can do that. And of course, the whole psychology of the world is not working on your physical body, it's working on your emotional body. So a person's emotional world is much stronger than their physical world. Emotions cause reactions in the human body. The human body doesn't cause reactions in the person's emotions. 90% of emotional relationships become physical. That's why I'm talking to a girl, I'm talking to a woman, she's in my bungalow colony, she's telling me her problems, Robert Wallace, what's the problem? What's going to happen? Nothing's going to happen. Says, why? Because when you get emotionally involved with someone, right, there's a much deeper connection than being physically involved with somebody. Men go to places they shouldn't go and they don't, you know, they get physically involved and they walk out never to see that person again. Physical relationships, it says, 10% of physical relationships become emotional. 90% of emotional relationships become physical. So when you, when the Yetzirah wants to get you, he gets you to talk to the person and her, her, her of course, she's going to tell you that her marriage is miserable and you're going to feel bad for her even though 
Her marriage is miserable, but she'll tell you that. And she's going to get into this emotional relationship. And that will, that will lead you to a physical relationship. So the emotional world, 90 to 10, much, much more powerful. You could... The greatest men, the smartest men, most powerful men have gone down because they fell in love with a woman. The smartest, most powerful men, look in history. Look in history. So emotions are crazy. So I tell these atheists, I'm like, you cannot deny that world. You're all, you love, you may be loving the wrong people, you may be loving the wrong things, but we all have emotions. No one can deny that we have emotions. We get insulted, we get hurt, we get complimented, we feel good. Right? It's not a physical thing. It's an emotional thing. Now, can you see emotions? Well, she can smile at me right here. You can hate my guts. I don't know if he likes me or not. I, you can smile. You know, the, when the Arabs, when they shook the, what's the name's hand and the piece of the Iran, the Iranian deal with the, with the Americans, they were smiling. Yeah! Okay, in his head, he's thinking, we're going to blow you off the face of the earth. Ah, you know, you're best friends. Yeah, sure. So you can't tell when a person's emotions are real. You don't know if they're really happy or if they're really sad. So we don't have a way of seeing emotions. We can see reactions to emotions. They may be real, they may be false, we don't know. We cannot hear emotions. We can hear a reaction if you cry. But the pain that you have inside, I cannot hear. I cannot see. I cannot feel. I cannot smell. And I cannot touch. So the five senses that a human being has, when it comes to the emotional world, you're handicapped. You cannot cat scan it. You cannot sonogram it. You cannot MRI it. You cannot microscope it, telescope it. There is no instrument in this world that can weigh or measure emotions. But we know that we're heavily invested in that world. In fact, advertising companies, right, their whole advertisement is based on getting the emotion out of the customer. So we have to admit as human beings that the limited five senses we have have no connection whatsoever to the emotional world. And with all our science, cannot measure that world. So therefore, we have to admit, atheist and not an atheist, that we live in two worlds. One that we see, one that Hashem gave us five senses, Baruch Hashem, and one that we're just totally handicapped. We have, we have no way to measure it. We have, so I said, so now, once you admit that we're living in these two worlds, so you're admitting that there's an emotional world. Yes? Yes. You're admitting that there's a physical world. Yes? Yes. So when the body dies, what happens to the person's emotional world? There are two separate entities. One has five senses. One has nothing to do with the five senses. So when the body dies, where does the emotional part of this human go? So you don't want to call it Olam Haba. You don't want to call it Ganeden and Gehenim. It goes to its world. The physical body goes back to the physical world. 
And the spiritual, the emotional, spiritual body goes back to the emotional world. So you don't want to call it a spiritual world, you want to call it an emotional world? Fine. It's not, there's no difference. But there's definitely another world. And they can't argue, you can't argue that. Nobody can argue that. So we are all in that, in both those worlds. Every person in this room, you're not emotionally dead. Even when you're emotionally dead, you're not emotionally dead. You still get insulted, it bothers you, no matter how, no matter what you think of yourself. So, as human beings, in the physical world, the Zayar says that the reason he created us on two, and animals on four, is because the animal is a chai. He comes from the ground, he doesn't have a neshama, he doesn't have emotions, he doesn't have emotions, right? You can't insult him. You can walk over to the cow and say, You are the ugliest cow I ever saw. I don't like you. Moo. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean nothing. It doesn't mean anything. So, an animal faces where it comes from. The ground. So it stand, the Zohar says this, it stands on all four, its head is always facing down, right? That's how it walks. So you're, it's, it's, it comes from the ground, it's always looking at the ground. The human being, being that he has a neshama, right? Which is the emotional, spiritual world, which comes from Shemayim. So he stands on two, and he's always looking up. Facing up, you know, facing down. What happens? If you go in the street tomorrow, whatever Avenue J, Stand on the corner and just watch people. You will see that they're no longer looking up. Everybody's walking around like this. So we might as well be on all four. Everybody's looking down. Everybody's got their phone. It depends on how old you are, if you can see or not, right? So you got the guys like this and the guys like that. Everybody's watch them walking. Everybody's walking, looking down. So this machine, I know I talk a lot about this, but this machine is taking us from that world to this world because this machine has no emotions. So this is a physical machine. This is a physical machine. It has width, it has length, it has density. So it's in the physical world. So you can feel it, you can hear it. You can't smell it, but whatever. But, it, but some of your senses are attached to this machine. So this is the physical world. So Taki, you look down like a behemoth. But what it's taking us away from is the re'e, is the ability to see the real world. This is not the real world. This is the fake world. This can be turned off. You can't turn off the real world, even though I would like to sometimes, right? But you can't. So the, this puzzle, I think it's like so important. It takes one of the five senses and it te- and says, re'e, look at me, look at me. Look, look, use your eyes, look, look around. You know, how many times are there crashes and what do they tell the police? I'm really sorry, I didn't see him. I didn't see him. You know what's going to happen at the end of 120 years? People are going to come to Shemayim and Hashem is going to say, Where were you? 90 years! You're busy with your phone, with this, with that. Hey! Sorry, I didn't see you. I didn't see you. So the Pasuk is telling us, Re'ei, Anoichi, see me. Look around. Look at a tree. 
Look at a flower. Look at a fruit. Look at a, at a root in a tooth. Look at a human body. Look at an airplane that flies. I created gravity. If you didn't create gravity, there would be no planes that could fly. Hashem created gravity. We're not just all floating around. So no matter what you do in life, whatever it is that you do in life, you created a brain that you're able to do anything. So Kosh screaming, the Pashas Re'eh, Elo, the first word, not Vayidabe, Re'eh, get your eyes out of all the technology and look for me. And the greatest bracha is if you find me. That is the greatest bracha. There's nothing to talk about. It, when you live a, in a life where you, you see Hashem in everything, right? You know, I, I benched Goyimba last week. I told you about, you know, I, I was driving at 2 o'clock at night. I benched Goyimba because this car was coming right at me. And the last second, he went off the road and he went into the trees. And they didn't even get hurt. These guys were drunk, whatever it was. And, and I, mamish, I saw my life in front of me. And, and, you know, you think you could always do something. They were going 80 miles an hour. There was nothing I could do. I was the sitting duck. And in the last second, I cursed Baruch If you don't realize that, if you walk out and you say you're lucky, so it's not the same feeling if I would have walked away and said, I'm lucky, guys. I'm just a lucky guy. Or, Hashem, the last second I'm connected to him. He loves me. The last second he's like, the Malachim are like, they created those guys in that car to kill me. They were, they were the Mazikin. They were drunk. They were created to take Wallerstein out. There's no, nothing to talk about. That's what they were created for. And these Mazikin were coming at me. And the last second Hashem said, for whatever reason, I have no idea the reason, but whatever it was, the last second He said, ah! car went flying. He didn't kill them. They didn't die. They ran into the woods. They didn't even catch them. Car was like that. They say drunk people for some reason because they don't stiffen up. They don't get hurt. They kill everybody else, but they don't get hurt, whatever it is. These guys ran into the woods. They never found them. They didn't even look for them. They just, they, they, they said, yeah, they, let, let, you know, whatever. So they were crazy. So I'm walking around, I'm like, there's Hashem saved me. Isn't that a much better feeling than I was lucky? Knowing that someone's watching me, knowing that someone made this guy swerve, knowing that a Kershbohu loves me. How could you not live with that? How could you live in a world where I was just lucky? All right, so then next time. So that's the greatest bracha. The greatest bracha is the Torah is telling us the greatest bracha is that Hashem Alekechem. Is, is, is listening to his mitzvahs and the greatest klala, and they're not happy. Kids off the derech are not happy. They're not happy kids. They're searching, they're drugging, they're this, they're that, they're anesthesiing because of the drugs. They gotta put anesthesia on, they gotta do this, they gotta smoke pot. Those are not happy. Pot smokers are not happy people. Pot smokers are non-feeling. When they, when they smoke, they don't feel their pain. That's not happy. That didn't make me happy when, when I, when, when, I, when he gave me all those painkillers with my root canal before he did the root canal. Didn't make me happy. The minute the, the, the Motrin wore off, I was dancing. I was in so much crazy pain. You know what made me happy? When he fixed my root canal and there was no more pain, there was no more Motrin. So doing drugs, let's take Motrin on, on, on a root canal. The minute it wears off, we, we're, we, you're better? Stuff is better? Life is better? Life's not better. You gotta do it again. You gotta do it again. You gotta do it again. Then you gotta sit with a bunch of guys who feel sorry for themselves. Now, anybody's sitting there, he did this to me, he did this, and I'm not making small sexual abuse of any of, uh, any, any of that stuff. I'm not making small, but you know what? Sitting around and catching about it and drugging and crying ain't gonna do anything. You're not gonna build anything. You're not gonna fix anything. You're not gonna do anything with it. The Holocaust people would be this generation. None of us would be here. They had a lot more reason to feel sorry. Even, even the abuse that they went through and, and to watch all their families get wiped out. 
Did they sit around and smoke pot? Did my, my, my in-laws smoke pot? My father-in-law smoked pot? No, he didn't smoke pot. Did he drink? Did he sit on Shabbos with a bottle of blue and a bunch of guys sitting around getting drunk in front of their kids and then like, I don't know why my kids are going up the derech. <laughs> well, what do you think, man? You come home blitz. What do you think your son, and, your, and we love our parents. So my father, who's smart, and he's successful, he's a drunk. So I'm stupid. I'm a kid, so I should surely drink. So my father's like, listen, Rabbi Austin, you got to talk to my kid. I'm like, why? He says, because, because he's 15 and he's drinking. I'm like, you're a drunk. Every Shabbos you get blitz. But I'm 40. I'm an adult. I'm like, so you're a bigger idiot. You're an adult, you're smart, you're educated, and you're drinking. He's a kid. The Kabbalah is the other way around. Like, what are you talking about? And then, and then you're wondering about your kids, so what? Everybody's in pain. The whole shul's in pain, everyone has to drink. He's in pain. My father talked to me this way. My Rebbe did this. Everybody's in pain. They're drinking, they're smoking. They're feeling sorry for themselves. 400 kids up in the mountains, Jew fest, had a whole big thing. 40 kids, everyone's angry at God. Three days, music, drugs, right? And the Nebuch, everyone there, they're in pain. I'm not saying they shouldn't be in pain, but you got to do something with your pain. Moshe Abedin was in pain. This is what Tzadik was sold by his brothers. There's some gay guy who bought him from Mishkab Zachar. He was in pain, and then some woman tells everyone that he, that, that he did something, so they throw him into the dungeon. You know what a dungeon in Egypt was like? Yosef was in pain. And when he came out, what did he tell Paro? I can't help you, man. If Hashem is going to help me figure out your dreams, then I can help you. He should have turned around and said, I'm out of here off the derech. What kind of Hashem? My brother sold me. And then Hashem gets me into trouble. And, and I end up in a dungeon. I'm here and trying by myself. A Jew. Hashem. He had a chance to become a huge guy without Hashem. Translate the dream. I'm a sorcerer. No. What's the biggest bracha? The biggest bracha is to say, I can't do nothing, Paro. Hashem helps me out. I might be able to give you an answer. Did he feel sorry for himself? Did he smoke pot? Did he get depressed? I'm not going to yeshiva. I'm not going to work. I'm not doing nothing because something happened to me. I'm not saying the person who did it wrong to the other person shouldn't go to jail and you shouldn't put him away and you shouldn't punish him. But if you're going to sit there and feel sorry for yourself, where are you going to go? If you're in an army unit and you're at war and the guy next to you gets killed, so that's it. You're going to lay down and say, oh, I can't believe this happened to my friend. They're going to kill you. That's, that's what we are. What's his name? Speaks about it. He's the big man, right? What's his name? Wrote the, what I, he translated uh, Rush's book, Garden of Amuna. Laser Brody. You know what happened to Laser Brody? Laser Brody was in a, in a platoon that went in to a town. He was in the, in the Israeli army. They killed every one of his guys. He saw his best friend's head get blown off. Another guy stepped on a mine, blew his body apart. They killed every guy in his unit. And they hit him too. So the Laser Brody, that's it. It's over. My whole unit died. I'm depressed. Send me somewhere with a, with a bottle and some pot and, and a little, little music in the background. And that's it, man. I'm vegetating because my whole unit is dead, man. I'm done. So what did Lazy Brody do? He wrote Garden of Amuna. What kind of Amuna? All your friends are dead. Because he's not going to sit there and feel sorry for himself. 
So he went out and wrote a book that sold more books than any Jewish book ever written outside of our Gemaras and our Chumashim. That's how he... And I, you can ask why he's in the story. Mamish, his best friends, every one of them got killed and in a terrible way. So at this point, and the reason I'm very agitated is because I just can't listen to it anymore. Everybody's whining. It's a generation of whiners. They're just a bunch of whiners. Everyone's whining. Get up and do something with your life. You, you, yes, you have an excuse. 100%. I, I told you a story with my father. I was a big hockey player. I came on Monday Shabbos. I'll never forget it. I came on Monday Shabbos. I was always cut and stitches and whatever. Hockey, was, I was the most penalty minutes of any guy on my team. Right? Always fight. I came home Monday Shabbos. I said, Dad, tonight the ice was slow. The ice was slow means it was warm. And the ice had a little water on it, so you can't skate fast. I said, Dad, tonight, that, it was terrible. I told him the arena was warm, the air conditioning wasn't working, the ice was slow. He goes, oh, Zachariah, you lost, didn't you? I'm like, I didn't tell you the score yet. Why are you jumping to that conclusion? He says, winners never make excuses. Nobody ever came home and said, you want to know why we won? So the minute I told him the ice was slow, he knew what was coming up. So therefore, I didn't score any goals. So therefore, we, did, we lost three to one. I, so, so my father, who was a Marine, who was in the 112th Airborne Division, these guys did not feel sorry for themselves at all. So he said to me, well, Zachariah, wasn't the ice slow for them too? Like, what kind of excuse is that? If it's slow for you, it's slow for them. And I'm like, you're right, we lost. Forget that. Forget what I said. Yeah, so you can feel sorry for yourself and do nothing in your life, or you can pick yourself up and do something. It's not a failure to fall. It's a failure not to get up. I love that saying. It's so true. Everybody falls. Robert Wallerstein falls. Everybody falls. We all fall. There's no failure in fall. You're allowed to fall. Every kid before he walks, he falls. It's not a failure. Falling off your bicycle is not a failure. Getting back on your, get, not getting back on your bicycle is a failure. And I think that's something that we just have to really drive home. And I'm not telling this for parents to tell it to their kids I'm telling this for kids, for all of us to tell ourselves we go through a lot of trauma, we go through a lot of stuff that shouldn't stop you just the opposite, it should get you angry it should get you angry that someone tried to stop you from producing, someone tried to kill your potential somebody abused you somebody said something to you to hurt you so instead of putting your head into the ground like an ostrich you pick your head up and say you try to hurt me, you try to take my whole life away from me, you abuse me, you're not, you're not winning this. You're going to lose this. I'm not going to smoke up and become a pothead and walk around the world and do nothing. That's what you wanted to do to me. You wanted to take my dignity away from me. You, 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 you embarrassed me in front of a whole class. You called me a loser. I'm not a loser. It's just the opposite. It should light a fire. Then when a kid comes to you and says, I want to give you drugs, you're like, drugs for what? Why aren't you in pain, man? I'm like... What I'm going to do with my pain is I'm going to use it to help others and to grow. And then one day, that Rebbe that told me I'm a nobody, that Yeshiva is going to come and want me to be the guest of honor. Because I made a lot of money. And all of a sudden, they're going to want me to help them. Oh, does that feel good? It feels much better than a joint. It feels much better than a bottle of whiskey. It feels much better than a pill. I made it. You told me I'm going to be a loser. And I made it. You abused me. You took my dignity away from me. I'm taking it back. Not I'm smoking till I'm dead in my head. 
I'm not going to let you beat me. That's got to come from your, from your guts. You're men. You're not, you're, not, you're not children. We're men. We're not cows. We have emotions. We have energy. We have strength. Kaleisho has strength. And we just fell into this world of feeling I'm such a nebuch. I want to start a nebuch club. I'll have a 200,000 guys in my club. Everyone's going to walk around with a button. I'm a nebuch. Don't look at me like that. Can I mooch a cigarette? That's what's happening. You're watching you're mean, you're hard. Yeah, maybe I'm mean in my heart, but maybe you'll turn into something. Instead of just a pothead sitting in a, in a tent for three days, doing nothing but yourself. Blaming the whole world. Blaming the whole world for what you are and what you're not. No, at the end of the day, you're going to have to turn and look in the mirror. Because whoever hurts you, they hurt you. I told you what they used to say in the Marines. If you, get, if you step on a mine and, it blows, and you lose your right foot, don't stop. Hop on your left. And if you step on another mine and you lose your left foot, roll. And if you roll onto a mine, don't worry, it's over. <laughs> yeah, it's the difference between men and mice. You don't stop. You don't stop. This generation stopped. Came to a short stop. After the Holocaust, came to a short stop. I'm an Ebuch. The whole world has to pay for me. Buy my, my clothing. Send me to Israel. Rabbis, come on. Invite me for Shabbos. Look at yourself in the mirror, aren't you? Isn't that a Nebuch? You're a moocher? You turn into a moocher? Everybody has to support you? Is that, is that a man? Is that, is, that, is, that, is that strength? So I'm not saying you shouldn't have therapy. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a good coach. I'm not saying that in the army you don't need a good leader. You do. But the therapy is supposed to lead to the strength, the inner strength to be able to go on. Not to feel sorry, more, more, sorry, more, 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 sorry. And I have to stay out till 4 o'clock and I have to chill. And then I have to go to sleep till 6 in the afternoon. Because you know what my Rebbe did to me? You, do, 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 Rabbi, Rabbi. I'm like, that's right. So just the opposite. Show him. Walk, by, walk past his house. Where are you going? I'm going to Yeshiva. I just finished Gemara Bogmetsi. I learned about Peh. Ha! You try to take it from me, man. I took it back. You can't hurt me. Where's the Rocky? Where's the Rocky inside? Where's that, where's that inner strength? Where's the Rocky? Where's the Moshe Rabbeinu? Where's the Moshe Rabbeinu? I'm serious. Where's the Moshe Rabbeinu? Where's Avram Avinu? The whole world. The whole world was against him. You want to talk Nebuch? You want to talk someone who should have smoked pot? His father took him and threw him. I mean, some of us have fathers that abuse us, right? Took him and threw him into a furnace that it says that the soldiers... A mile away died because it was so hot. So in the end, learned the Mamlayas. They couldn't figure out how to get Avram Avinu in the furnace. Right? Because every soldier that tried to carry him there burnt. So what did they do? I'll show it to you in the Mamlayas. What did his father, Terach, his lovely father, right? Terach, who Avram Avinu never ever stopped trying to be masaking his nishama so it should go into Gan Eden. That was his reaction to his father. Not he spit at him or hit at him or stole his credit cards or whatever it was. If you learn, if you learn the Chidah, you learn the Chidah, Rama Binu didn't rest till Terach was in Ganadin and his mother was in Ganadin. There's a whole thing he davened and he did tikkunim, right? So he didn't take revenge. Listen to this Mamlayas. So him and Nimrod got together, Terach and Nimrod, and they came up with a catapult. I promise you, I'll show it to you. So they, they set up a catapult. 
you know, that shoots the stones over the walls. They took out Ramavinu, put him on the catapult, tied him up, put him on the catapult, and shot him into the furnace. Nice! I mean, come on! He shouldn't have felt sorry for himself? My own father? So he went, and he went across the world, and he said, you try to kill me? Hashem saves me? There's a God. There's a God. There's a God who created the world. There's a God who created food. He was the first person to get up and say, there's one God that created everything, and all the avoid desires of my father, my father's selling is all baloney. So how did he react? Did he feel sorry for himself? Did he get into depression? That he didn't have any children? For as long as he did, did he get into depression? Did he question HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Did Sarimenu question HaKadosh Baruch Hu? 90 years old without kids? I know girls that are married four years and don't have kids, who are maybe, 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 maybe Hashem's not really there. I doubt them all the time. She was 90 and didn't have kids. Like, we, we, where did these people get depressed? Or Rifki Menu, who came from, from Basuel and Lavan, from the lowest place in the world. Or Yitzchak Avinu, who was blind. Whose father, you can say whatever you want, but at the end of the day, his father went across the world saying to everyone that human sacrifice is the worst thing you could do. And one day his father wakes up and says, guess what? I'm the man who preaches anti-human sacrifice, and I am sacrificing you. Psh, Yitzchak should have smoked up. Big time. <laughs> Forget about it. Taking me up there and shechting me. Holy moly. At least let's get some drinks before you do it so I don't move. Right? So what does Yitzhak Avinu say? He doesn't say, get me blitzed. So when I'm laying on the Mizbeach, I'm like, hey man, do whatever you want, you know. He says, tie me down. Tie me down with rope so I don't move. He feels sorry for himself. Did Jacob Avinu feel sorry for himself? That he had a brother that wanted to kill him. That he had a father-in-law love on. That his daughter got raped. Did he feel sorry for himself? That his daughter Dina got raped. That his, his son Yosef was sold. That he came up to Pyro and said, had a very troubling wife. So does it say anywhere that he went up to the corner somewhere and smoked up? Is that how Yaakov Avinu reacted? When Yaakov Avinu saw Yosef HaTzadik after 22 years, his favorite son who was stolen from him, who was dropped into, into Mitzrayim, so what was his reaction? Oh my God! This is all connected to HaKadosh Baruch That was his reaction. Moshe Rabbeinu, abandoned, adopted, went through Gehenna, his whole life, I, I read the Torah. Every passage that we read, what does Christ will say? What did you do? Hey man, what did you do? You took us out of a triumph to kill us? Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, wipe me out. The whole chumash that you made, I don't want my name. If you hurt Kleisrol, I'm out. You think Kleisrol would say, wow, what a leader. What do they say? You're a murderer. You're a killer. This is your program. You made your, 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 your brother Aaron, Kairach shows up. Kleisrol, the man, made Mariva, it doesn't stop. The whole Torah. Did they say thank you? Never. The whole Torah from the day Moshe Rabbeinu was born, he was hidden in a closet. From the day he was born till the day he died, in the most hard life of anyone in the Torah, did he ever, one time he complained and he got punished. Uh, he called them, he called them rebels and he got punished for it. And when he dies, what does it say? 
Hashem says one pasuk, a whole one pasuk on the whole Moshe Rabbeinu. We go to Leviah, Chachom today, and the rabbis talk for 17 hours. He was this and he was that, and you're standing out there in the rain, and they keep talking, and keep talking, and the next rabbi, and then the family, and oh, I wish I could have been closer to my father, and all the guys who talk to the box, you know. Oh, Mechila, Mechila, the person's dead. Mechila, Mechila, why don't you ask him Mechila when he was alive? Now you ask him Mechila when he's dead? Very nice. He can't answer you. Maybe he is Michael, maybe he's not Michael. I don't know if he can hear you. I don't know what to do, what's going on over there. Right? Everyone waits till the person's dead to ask Mechila. And all these speeches, when Shabbat dies, one Pasuk. Ebed Hashem. Now he's a leader, Yamsuf, Makas, all that stuff. Because, and this is what this Pasuk is saying, what is the, what is the greatest thing that Moshe Rabbeinu had? He had a relationship with the Kurdish Baruch What's, why is the Ebed the greatest relationship? Because when nobody can get into the king's chamber, the one who cleans his throne and is washing the floors, he just walks in and walks out anytime he wants. Because that's his job. Shabbeinu didn't make a difference to him whether he was shining Hashem's crown or cleaning a toilet. Didn't make a difference. Because in Eved, it doesn't make a difference to him what he's doing. He's so happy to work for his master that it doesn't make a difference. So when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is complimenting Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest compliment he could say is that Moshe Rabbeinu was a true Eved. He was connected to me all the time, and when I gave him split the Yamsof, a huge job that the whole world's going to talk about, he did that. When I gave him a little job that nobody was talking about, when he went around looking for Yosef HaTzadik's body, which nobody was talking about, he was the same person. It didn't matter what job he had. Did he feel sorry for himself? Did David Amelech feel sorry for himself? Who felt sorry for himself? So the Torah is built on people, our great people, is built on people that have very hard lives. They did not have easy lives. They have very hard lives. But they made it. And not only they made it, it changed the world. So yes, you can feel sorry for yourself, and you could be right. So what do you, what did you do for the world? Except for supporting drug, drug dealers, what did you do for the world? Nothing. Zero. That's not what we're here for. So then you lost. We don't want to lose. We want to be winners. And that's what the Torah is telling us in Pashat A. The biggest bracha is doing the right thing. And the biggest klala is doing the wrong thing. And they're empty. I deal with kids all the time. They're empty. They're not happy. They're not happy kids. Because the minute the stuff wears off, the same emptiness is there. So, so it's just anesthesia, you know. And if, Taki gave me a shot when he started the root canal. He gave me a shot. And he said, do you feel the pain anyone? I said, no. And it was great. And I was like, could you like, just give me like a shot that lasts like four days? And he's like, oh, it only lasts an hour. And you're going to have to take some Motrin because it's going to hurt afterwards. The shot only lasts an hour. It doesn't fix the tooth. You got to do the work. You got to do the work. Okay. I'm just upset because there's a lot going on in the last two weeks. That's just, just, I've met a lot of kids that are just wasting their lives. And, and they have all the excuses and I'm like, they're, they're, you're right. Your excuses are right. But if you don't get up, you're wrong. And you know, people react to this year. You know, you didn't go through sexual abuse, Reverend Wallstein, so you don't know what it means. So how do you dare tell us to get up? And the answer is, I'm not telling you that you can, I'm not telling you to get up. But I'm telling you that the best thing you can do for yourself is to get up. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't have pain. I went through what I went through. I have my pain, but I didn't, I, I'm not telling you 
that you know sometimes it really it, 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 it does shatter a person there's no Shiloh I'm not making small of that it does shatter a person it's a life sentence and it's it's not fear and it's not fear and the ice that night was not fear that it was all full of water at the end of the day even if it's not fear you can still win so I'm not discounting a person's pain but the best way out of that pain is to be successful when you become successful it really dampens the pain it really does anesthesia doesn't so I'm just pushing like I would push my own kids like I push myself I'm pushing that you got to push yourself you got to push yourself you got to be successful don't waste your life because that's the biggest klala not the wasting of the life is the biggest klala person has the power to make people happy to, to, to give love and to give care to build up kids it's so unbelievable on the positive side when you crawl out of that darkness and you help other people it's such a light it's such a medicine if people would know that it's such a medicine to help others it's mamish penicillin for the soul it really really is and, and, and many kids who have gone through abuse who become therapists and help other people that's how they find their peace by helping other people not by sitting and, and vegetating well, I got that off my chest I think um, alright so we're just going to tell you one story we'll end with this it's a, um, it's a story in the Alas Chaim what should I tell you that's the way I was brought up I know there's a whole other side and that, you know, a feeling sorry for yourself, but all I can tell you is like this. I just told it to someone this morning. How do you know if you're a manufacturer? How do you know if your ingredients, if you're, do, if you're doing the right thing? When you're in science and you have a lab and you have an experiment, how do you know if you came up with the right thing? And the answer is you look at your product. Right? You did an experiment, you look at your product, what came out of that experiment. You have a business, you have a factory, you have, you're putting things into a machine, you look at how the product comes out. If the product comes out correctly, then you did a good job, you have the right machine, the right ingredients. If the product doesn't come out correctly, then, then you gotta start looking. I'm in the plastic bag business. So, in our business, there's a thing called an extruder. The plastic pellets have to get melted, and then they get blown into like a balloon, and then it gets printed, whatever it is. Now, when something is, the, the plastic coming out of there is not correct, so then we gotta look at the quality of the pellets. We gotta look at the head of the machine. We have to take the machine apart till we find what's wrong to get it correct. Now, I can only say this, and I told this to someone this morning. Psychology, medicine, all this stuff, I can't tell you what's right and what's wrong, and you definitely need psychology, and there's certain, certain mental, um, diseases that you definitely need medicine. It's chemical. It's chemical. If you're, if you got something chemically wrong in your body, you gotta fix it, right? So I'm not talking about that. That's not what I'm talking about. At the end of the day, I'm 58 years old. Look at my generation. Okay? I can look at my generation. Now in my generation, we didn't have psychology, we didn't have medicine, and they were pretty strict. No, they were very strict. Okay? The product of my generation, my friends, the people my age, the people that I know, we didn't have any of that as kids. We never smoked pot. We 
did not take Prozac. We did not fill up therapist couches. One kid in my first through 12th grade that I knew of all the hundreds, maybe thousands of kids in Muncie went off to Derech. One kid. So the product that came out, hardworking people, I don't have a friend that's divorced. I don't have a guy in my class that's divorced. A class of 30 guys, not one of them is divorced. Do they have good marriages? I have no idea. But nobody's divorced. Okay? Nobody, Baruch Hashem, committed suicide for my class that I know, and my brother's class, and all those other classes. So the product, I can only get the product, okay, of a tough generation. Our parents were tough. We got whacked. And we got whacked in school, and then we got whacked at home because we got whacked in school. <laughs> so you never told your parents that my Rebbe whacked. Your Rebbe had to hit you? Your Rebbe had to hit you? Whack. So we came home like, how'd you get that mark? Oh, I ran. I must have run into a hundred desks every two days. How'd you get that mark in your face? I ran into a desk. The same desk? I mean, you can't learn to get around it, right? So I'm not saying that whacking today, whacking, well, it's not, it's not the right way. Things, things do change. But at the end of the day, the product of that generation, and that was a tough generation. There were Holocaust survivors. They didn't understand. They were, they were very hardworking. They didn't have much time for the kids, whatever it was. The product is such a different product than the product today. So when you have a product and a product, and the product of today is not working, then you got to go back to the machinery and try to figure out what's wrong with the machinery, what's going on over here. And I very much feel, I very much feel that the difference between my generation and this generation, one thing, just one thing we did not feel sorry for ourselves we never looked in the mirror ever we looked ahead there are guys today making a lot more money than we made nothing to talk about real estate nursing homes all that stuff I'm not talking about money okay I'm talking about personalities we did not feel sorry for ourselves we got hit we got punished we went through whatever we went through but we never I never sat with my friends and was like oh my god we Believe what's going on. Yeah, my father's like that. Yeah, my father also. Well, your father's also not really. No, yes, he is. You just don't realize it. He's just like that also. No, my father's a good guy. No, no, your father's not a good guy. He's a faker. He can't be a good guy. How can a father be a good guy? Never did we sit together in a group and just feel sorry for ourselves. I don't even know if you understand this. There was no whiskey. There was no whiskey in shul. In the morning, the early men and the old, old men from Russia, you know, the old guys, they would have, they had those little plastic cups, they would have a third of a cup of Slivowitz, plum brandy, right? And if the guy had a half a cup, he was a drunk. We oh, don't make a shit up with him, he's a drunk. There's no such thing. I never, I never drank in my life. As a 16-year-old kid, there, was, there wasn't available. And a kiddish, there was Manischewitz wine, not even Kedda, whatever it is. It wasn't available, and we didn't want to drink. I wanted to go play ball once in Shabbos. I can't get drunk on Shabbos. I had a hockey game, and Sunday I had a baseball game, and Monday night I had a basketball game. How can I get high or drink or any of that stuff? We were in the world. We went to camp. We went overnight hikes. We played ball till 2 o'clock in the morning. Nobody's playing ball. They're climbing up trees to find a place where their phone works. <laughs> I went to a camp they told me there's one tree in this camp the girls climb up because they get 
we get phone service. And then they're talking to some other camp where there's another tree. So you get 12 girls up in one tree and 500 miles in another. other. What are you doing on a tree on a phone? You're in the mountains. Oh, my God. We walked down the willy. We walked down rivers. We went fishing. We went boating. It's over. This is it. So, of course, you got to drink and, and, and smoke up. You don't have a life. You're not connected. Hey, I'm, not here. I'm here, Hashem says. I, I created a whole world. I spent six days making mountains and rivers and flowers. I spent six days creating a world. And you live in a machine? So, so we're disconnected. So, of course, we're in pain. We didn't have any of this. Were we stupid? Oh, you don't know. You guys were missing something. Who created this? Who created the computer and everything? Our generation created it. We started IBM. We sent the, a rocket to the moon. They're not idiots. Or well, we're much smarter, you guys, you know. They're not idiots. They're not idiots. Our generation was not idiots. So the Pusik is telling us, look. The biggest bracha is looking and be part of this world and be connected to Hashem. And the biggest koala is to be a, a, a vegetable who's chilling, who's smoking a bunch of stuff that grows from the ground. Made for animals, things that grow from the ground. What are you smoking it for? What are you doing? So you're escaping. So what are you going to be in life? What are you going to do in this world? What are you here for? Re'eh, look, think, focus. The bracha is here. The bracha is to be connected. The klala is to walk away. The biggest klala is going off the derech. Not if you go off the derech, I'm going to curse you. You're not keeping Shabbos. You're going to get courage and you're going to burn. That's not what the Torah says here. That's what you think according to the way kids speak. Oh, God just stands up there. He's got a barbecue. Next. Barbecue. Is he done? Okay, next. Barbecue. Hashem's saying, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving you a curse. I'm telling you that if you serve by Yisrael and you don't listen to me, I'm not, I'm not telling you you're going to Gehenna. I'm not telling you I'm burning you. I'm not telling you you're getting courage. I'm not telling you Bezer's going to kill you. I'm telling you that the Klala is not listening to me and walking away from me, disconnecting from me. That is the greatest Klala in the world. It's, it's such an important message going into... I wasn't even going to talk about this. I was going to your Kava Chaim on Tshuva, the Kava Yosha on Tshuva tonight. But it's not what Hashem wanted here tonight. So yes, you can all, we can all feel sorry for ourselves. And we could vegetate, and that could be our lives. That's your choice. It's everybody's choice. It's everybody's choice. But a good coach, a good coach is not going to let you do that. I'm not going to be a bad coach. Even if you understand that the kid is hurt, you got to put him back in. You, gotta, you know, the kid drowned almost. What do you do? What's the first thing you do? Throw him back in the water. You crazy? You're vicious? You're nuts? You're crazy? What are you doing? Right? First thing is you throw him back in the water. Don't be scared. Look the enemy in the eye. Don't be scared. The eye of the tiger. Don't be scared. Did the snakes kill the Jews? Hashem said, put a snake on top of the pole. They got to look that snake in the eye. And that's their biggest refuah. The biggest refuah is looking the enemy in the eye and being successful. That's victory. Don't let the other person take away your dignity and who you are in your life. And he can't take it away. If you don't, this is something that I heard actually from a therapist. So I have to repeat it. Nobody can take away your dignity. Only you can give it up. Nobody can take it away. No matter what they did to you, you could stand up with your head up. But if you give it to them, then you lost your dignity. Then you lost your inner power, then you lost your kayak. Nobody can take away who you are. You can give up who you are.
Wow, it's a deep word. You can give up who you are. Nobody can take away who you are. They could try, but at the end of the day, if you don't give it up, they don't get it. You're looking at a guy who they try to take that away from me. In third grade, they try to take that away from me. In tenth grade, and Baruch Hashem, I had a father who was a soldier, and never did he let his children feel sorry for themselves. But from a good place. He never let us feel sorry for ourselves. You, you, just, you just don't grow from that. You have a moment, you can feel sorry for a moment, you want to cry a little bit, you can cry, but then you got to get up. It's normal, you're in pain, you're hurt, you got to cry, it's part of... But after you finish crying, you get up there and you're like, okay, I cried, I let it go, yalla, let's go, let's do it. I think very much the Israelis, um, I think very much knowing the Israelis for as long as I know them, and you know, of course we have our Kaddish Baruch Hu's help, but the, the one... The one aspect, the one meter that Israelis have that Americans don't, they never feel sorry for themselves. You will never hear an Israeli feel sorry for himself. I remember when they blew up Sabaro and all those people got killed. Two weeks later, the pizza shop was open again. I was like, how could you do that? It's like, people just died. I mean, their blood was off. I mean, they, just, they just blew up Sabaro. They put new glass in there. They're selling pizza. So I asked my Israeli friend, I'm like, like you couldn't keep it close for half a year in memory of these people. He's like, if we do that, they win. They win. We open Machni Yehuda. They blew up. They killed who knows how many people. The next Friday, it's open. Why? Because if we don't open, if we feel sorry for ourselves, they win. So the Israelis, one thing about them, never feel sorry for themselves. And I think that's what that's their because of that. They have an extra strength, and sometimes they're overbearing. We as Americans are like, <laughs> like what? But that had to be that has to be part of the sabra, so to say, because if he if he gives in to that, Lamai said they blew up tomorrow. Lamai said they killed a lot of Israelis. Lamai said they blew up the bus, and 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 the next day there's another number two bus. They don't stop the number two bus. They don't stop to lick their wounds. They don't stop to lick their wounds. They just keep going. They're like a wolf. The wolf goes. He goes with the pack. He doesn't stop and say, I'm hurt. Okay, I'll go hunting two weeks from now. It doesn't work that way. So that's, they have that kayach. And, and, and they're very aggressive, but maybe that's why they're very successful. It has its downside, but its upside is that maybe they do not feel sorry for themselves. We, everything is, feel sorry for everything. And, and we have to stop. We have to stop because we're losing this war. There are so many kids on drugs. There are so many kids that are anorexic. There are too many suicides. There are just, there's just, just too many kids out of yeshiva. Too many guys just doing nothing with their lives. Too many girls doing nothing with their lives. So I'm, you know, I gotta get up. I gotta say what I gotta say. I, I, I gotta be the coach. No one else is saying it. We gotta push. If you have a friend, you're not doing him a favor by, 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 by letting him just chill and vegetate, you're killing them. Get them back on the ice. I made this mistake one time. There is a, you could make a mistake. I had this boy, name was Ophir Karen. We used to play tackle football every Friday. So, I was the 8th grade Rebbe. So how, how much could they hurt me? But as the years gone by, they got bigger. Kids just got bigger. 
And this Ophir Karen was like a bulldozer. So he was my front, one of my front four that was blocking. We played real tackle football, no equipment. So I was a tough guy. So we were a tough guys. So and with eighth graders, what are they going to do to me? You get, you get 20 bucks on the spot if you take Ray Wallstein down. So they tried, the front four that's defending me, they spoke to the other four that were coming at me, and they're like, we're going to let you go, and you'll give us 10 bucks from the, each guy. Okay, they're, they're kids, whatever it was, but I picked up on it. I'm like, I'll tell you right now, if you guys do that, all four of you are gone. You're out of yeshiva. So, but anyway, so I had this kid, Ophir Karen. Ophir Karen was a tough Israeli kid. Anyway, we played, we played football. It was on ice. It was a Friday, and the snow was packed down, and it was ice. And... I don't know exactly what happened. He was defending me. He was very strong. He was defending me, and a kid tried to get by, and he slipped, and he fell. And he gets up, and he's like, oh, man, ready? my shoulder is killing me. I'm like, what are you, a woman? An eighth grader. I'm like, what are you, a woman? Play tackle football. Get back in the line. Okay, here's the play. He's like, I don't know. It hurts. I'm like, oh, fair. Stop it. You're an Israeli. Stop it, right? Okay. So we finished. he finishes the game. He comes back Monday in a body cast. He had a broken collarbone. I figured his mother and father were going to sue me, fire me, and get me killed, whatever it is. He would love to tell you the story, whatever it is. So he comes He comes to school. He's in a, he's in a shoulder cast. He had a, he had a ca- sling, a whole thing. He goes, hey, Rebbe, Rebbe, my shoulder blade's broken. I'm like, oh, fear, I am so, I'm sorry, I made him play with a broken shoulder blade. I'm like, oh, fear, I am so sorry. He goes, Come on, Rebbe. How many guys play tackle football with a, with a broken shoulder blade? This is, this is it. This is what it's about. I'm playing again this Friday. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not playing again this Friday. No, you're not. He's Israeli. You know? No, you're not. You have that inner koyach, that inner koyach in, in, in emotion, in, 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 in your ruchnius. You're coming into Elo. It's like nobody's going to put me down. No matter what my Rebbe said to me, there's so many guys that are not learning today because they were told in Yeshiva that they don't know how to learn. And they just gave up. So then you let them win. Then they took away from you what you gave them. You can't let that happen. Go back to Yeshiva. Start learning little by little. Don't listen to what they told you. Everybody can learn. Everybody can do mitzvahs. Everybody can do shalom bias. Everybody can be marvel midday. So this is Elul. Elul, Hashem says, you make the first move, I'll make the next. You take a step towards me, I'll do the rest. That is the greatest bracha. So my bracha to everyone here is, that you should see that Hashem is your God and that He loves you and that He's just waiting for us to take that step. And Bezrat Hashem, we should come out of this terrible, terrible gullus that we're in and we should see the building of the base of Midrash Meheri remain and remain. Just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.